Welcome to the Senior Story Hour, where we share poems, stories, observations of life, written by the Franklin Senior Center Writers Group. Welcome, listeners. This is the Senior Story Hour for broadcast during March 2023. So with March as an option, we have, let's see, the Ides of March, the uh, Spring Equinox, and I'm sure there's a few other things in there that'll potentially give us some subject matter to uh, pontificate on, to share what we've been doing our writing. St. Patty's Day. St. Patrick's Day, yes. Yes. I think St. Joseph's in there on the 19th, if I remember. So get, get a bunch of the saints in there. <laughs> Let's do a, a round of intros so that people can at least recognize the names and the voices. And starting here, this is Steve Sherlock. Al Locken. Bill Wiley. Faith Flaherty. Zenobia Carson. Good. So, Bill, I think you said you had a recent oh. one you wanted oh. to do? I have a couple of them I like to do, and I'll try my one with some songs in it first. <laughs> okay. I hope I can do it right. My song of love, the woman I want, the woman I need, let's get together and play in the weeds. As the Beatles used to sing, I give her all my love, that's all I do. And if you saw my love, you'd love her too. And I love her. I want you here. The love I found, I want you here always around. You're on my mind every second of the day. I will show my love, in your arms I will stay. You warm my heart, you warm my soul. To be beside you, that is my goal. My love for you, it grows so strong. To be beside you is where I belong. As a song once said, I love you more today than yesterday but not as much as tomorrow. I love you more today than yesterday, but darling, not as much as tomorrow. <laughs> Let's get together and we will have no sorrow. Two of my favorite songs that I have so far have sung to you every day and every night. When we get together, everything's all right. Our love will be like a beautiful love song. I will sing my love to you all day long. Now it's time to say good night. Good night, sleep tight. Now the sun turns out his light. Good night, sleep tight. Together our love will be dynamite. All right, Bill. Okay, that's, cool. Yeah, I got through it. Pretty you good. Ins you inspire me. You did well. Really good. <laughs> Next, the next one only has one, one title of a, of, a, of a song, so I'm okay with this one. Uh-huh. Uh, this one is uh, A Kiss in the Wind, I wrote a couple of days ago. My heart is filled with your love. You are this angel from heaven above. A wonderful warm feeling that sometimes burns so high, together we may even touch the sky. God has blessed me, darling, with you. My love for you, it is so true. Though you are so far away, it is with you I need to stay. A life with you by my side. My love for you, it will never hide. The passion that burns so deep inside. My darling, my arms are open wide. These words I must express. Life with you will be the best. As Tom Petty used to sing, the waiting is the hardest part. Let's get together, you are a work of art. 
my words of love will just go on and on. Please love me till the break of dawn. Even after the dawn does rise, my darling, my love will never die. A kiss in the wind I do throw. Together our love will just grow. I did that pretty good. You did. Yeah. Did well. I don't know that waiting at the heart of pot too well, so I couldn't sing it too well. I didn't know it too well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I know. I know Linda Ronstadt sang it. Yeah. All right. Besides Tom Petty. Right. Trying to do her version might be a little interesting <laughs> too. Some people are hard to imitate too. <laughs> they're, yes. They're so good. <laughs> they are. Want to go next, sir? Okay. Well, it's still February, and we just had Valentine's Day. Yes. And listening to Paul Simon's song the other day, 50 Ways to Leave Your Lover, I thought with 65 years of marriage, I could think of other ways to make it work. So this is my version, and it's called 50 Ways to Love Your Lover. Ah. In keeping with the theme of following Bill. Yes. The trouble's all inside your head, she said to me. Go another way instead, if you take it logically. I like to help you in your struggle, don't you see? There must be 50 ways to love your lover. And I'll repeat myself at the risk of being the fool. There must be 50 ways to love your lover. 50 ways to love your lover. Just take it back, Jack. Make a new plan, Sam. Stop being coy, Roy. Love isn't free. Just listen to me. Get back on the bus, Gus. You need to discuss much. Try not to be late, mate. Learn to be still, Gil. Sit for a while, Kyle. Hold on to that key, Lee. Love isn't free. There must be 50 ways to love your lover. 50 ways to love your lover. Just take it back, Jack. Make a new plan, Sam. Stop being coy, Roy. Just listen to me. Get back on the bus, Gus. You need to discuss much. Try not to be late, mate. Learn to be still, Gil. Sit for a while, Kyle. Hold on to that key, Lee. Does love isn't free. Just listen to me. There must be 50 ways to love your lover. I appreciate you helping me to smile again, but would you please explain about the 50 ways to love your lover? She said, why don't we sleep on it tonight and in the morning see the light? And then she kissed me, and I realized that would not be right. Still, what about the 50 ways to love your lover? Write her a poem, Jerome. How about a card, Gerard? Bring a chocolate candy, Andy. Don't forget the roses, Moses. You need to discuss much. Say you like her hair, Blair. Tell her she's pretty, Smitty. Give her a hug, Doug. Say it with your kiss, Chris. Love isn't free, Lee. Just listen to me. Write her a poem, Jerome. How about a card, Gerard? Bring a chocolate candy, Andy. Don't forget the roses, Moses. You need to discuss much. Say you like a hair, Blair. 
Tell her she's pretty, Smitty. Give her a hug, Doug. Say it with a kiss, Chris. Love isn't free. There must be 50 ways to love your lover. 50 ways to love your lover. Bada bing, Julio. Yeah. <laughs> Very nice. I like that version better. <laughs> Thank you. That's a good version. You uh, extended it nicely. Yes. I like the additional rhymes and the additional names and yeah. Oh yeah. Had to be a little creative. A little creative. <laughs> Just a little. And say what love means. Or how to do it. Yes. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. I don't know, Zenobia. He between Bill and Al, they're kind of up in the ante on us with uh, <clears throat> including singing into the into the what they're reading. Singing romance. I I want to just go and get a cane and a straw hat and start my own, you know, have my own little musical. Get your red shoes on. Uh, unfortunately, I don't have music. Mine's not set to music. But it was uh, last week, of course, again, was Valentine's Day, uh, last Tuesday, I believe. And I almost missed my Hadley Writers Circle. In fact, I did. And if anyone doesn't know what Hadley is, Hadley used to be exclusively a school for the blind. And they've extended over the years for visually impaired uh, people like me. There, there's so many facets. I can't even get into all the things that they do. But uh, it was the Hadley Writers Circle. So I'd like to talk about that. I wrote a little thing. Uh, the Hadley Writers Circle meets every second Tuesday of the month by way of Zoom. And one of the cool things about it is that we've had a month <laughs> to complete our simple assignments, or we refer to them as our homework. And the other cool thing is getting to hear the way others who are totally blind, partially sighted, and visually impaired, as yours truly, maneuver around this so-called disability and carry on as writers. Our moderators are people who have authored books, uh, some in Braille, others audio style, or large print. Many are seasoned, having been sight impaired uh, from birth. And for folks like me who just came into this challenge a few years back, uh, that's nothing less than fascinating. So at our last session, the topic was what inspired you to write or what still inspires you to write? Or when did you discover that you were a writer? I had carefully typed out my pages with their bullet points and was ready, or so I thought, with my trusty cup of tea with lemon and honey. Lately, I sound like Jimmy Durante when I speak. And I waited for the Zoom panel to pop into view. When it did, there was already a crowd. We don't use video Zoom, but little muted mics uh, appeared and shows up and you do not get to join the conversation until the moderator has greeted everyone, reminded you of your assignment, then um, unmutes us in order of arrival. Otherwise, we would sound like folks on a crowded subway trying to speak all at once. As soon as our moderator began unmuting and reminding us of the proper way to raise our hand, I totally went blank. Did she say control all what? Control, surely not delete. Control, alt, mute? I don't know. 
and I panicked and never got a chance and never got a turn, but listened attentively as the others who did hear the instructions or knew them by heart talked about their greatest encouragement or influencers with their writing, their current muse, or is it muses, <laughs> and what they are working on right now. I should have felt cheated, but I was totally enriched by their experiences and could tell that they were not allowing anything, especially the sight thing, get in their way. Then I thought, maybe I can share some of my thoughts with our scribblers group. So here goes without the bullets. One, both my parents contributed for my love of reading and the spoken word. I think the two go hand in hand. Mother taught me to read and write before kindergarten. Daddy was a genius storyteller, a genius at storytelling. Some people just tell stories, but this man was an artist, tossing you into the middle of his Southern childhood or his experiences in the army, making you see where he was and what he and others were doing long before you were even born. I began using my notebook paper to not only create short stories, but illustrate them as well. I would sketch a scene and give it people to inhabit the scene. Drawing recognizable figures began when I was about three, or so my mother remembered. Dad made sure I had ample drawing pads and paper so as not to waste my notebook paper. Both parents seemed astounded that their daughter was so creative. For me, it just flowed and came naturally. In sixth grade, our teacher, Mr. Ritchie, read one of my compositions aloud to the class. He smiled at me, but said to the class, one day Zenobia might be a great writer, which put the class into stitches. Zenobia, they said as they came up for air, as if they thought that was completely insane. Yet these same scoffers could be found wandering around my locker at times asking to make candy trades for help with their art or essays. I amassed a regular treasure box full of candy trade-offs until one day the jig was up when so many essays and art assignments bore a strange resemblance to mine. Well, when some lose some, my baby Ruth Snickers payday and Eminem empire had fallen and my parents made sure it was never rebuilt. Booey. The real writing bug attacked me when my mother began writing a column for a local newspaper. It was not one of the big syndicated ones like the Tribune or the Herald American or the Chicago Sun-Times, but a local weekly publication, the Chicago Crusader, and was owned by a man named Baum L. Lavelle, who was also editor and publisher. Mr. Lavelle was over once a week to proofread or help the changes that were necessary. He was tall and very handsome. I got the idea that my dad was not real happy about this man being around so much, but nothing suffered in our household, so daddy couldn't complain. Mother's column was called God's News Behind the News. I was the delivery person within a four or five block radius in our area. I was about 11 and I set out once a week with my little brother, Raymond, his wagon, 
loaded with papers and a smug look on my face because inside those papers was my honest-to-goodness column-writing mother. And she did it on our very own old Woodstock typewriter. I caught the writing bug even worse after I found there were so many women writers of all ages and cultures, and I wanted some of that. I could feel it in my bones. But I married as a teen, and the new hubby wanted me to act like other wives. You be like other wives, he said. So I set out to cooking and cleaning and diaper changing. And even after I raised the children, I raised grandchildren and laid aside my writing for a while. In 1990, my fresh start in Minnesota included writing with some writers and doing the thing I love most. I appreciated, but could have cared less about winning awards and such. I just needed to write. Now I'm still writing and thankful to do so. My physical sight and inner vision are two different things. And I am inspired by those who write, who refuse to allow anything to slow down the creativity that lurks in all our hearts. All right. Yeah. Bond, bond to write. Yeah. Long may you write. In, in my case, like, like uh, in, in the middle of the night, I, I get something and I, have to, and I have to write it down. <laughs> mm-hmm. Those, those moments come whenever they do, and yes, you need to capture that, at least the idea of it, and write it somewhere. Yeah. With me, the words just flow in my head, and okay, I got to write the first line down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Indeed. They escape you sometimes. <laughs> uh Yeah. Yeah, there was. I had a great stream the other day coming out of the bathroom, and because <laughs> I got distracted by something else, I couldn't write it down, and it's gone. Yeah. <laughs> it's um, gone. Yeah. Maybe it'll come back someday. Mm-hmm. I hope. Sometimes you can't get it back. You had that good thought, and then you lost it. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Faith, you have something for us today. Believe it or not, I wrote my eulogy. Oh. <laughs> okay. Ready? Yes. The difference between an obituary and a eulogy is simply that an obituary is an announcement of death with funeral details, whereas a eulogy is a speech that pays tribute to the life of the deceased. I'm writing my own eulogy, so I will know before I die what people are going to say. Also, I am taking advantage of my last opportunity to give a catechesis lesson to my religiously impaired family and friends. My life and my search for life's meaning is something I think most people can relate. There are various means to prove the existence of God. St. Thomas Aquinas gives five reasons. Intelligent design, and then there's nature's example of life after death, caterpillars dying to be born into butterflies, seeds dying to be flowers, and flowers spreading their seeds to become flowers again, etc. Our ability to reason can see that. The same with the proof called causation. Everyone and thing is because of something else. For example, our parents begot us and their parents begot them, and objects were made by someone, and even the Bing Bang the Big Bang had to have had a cause, the end cause we call God. Again, any thinking person can reason this, but we also can see proof of God in our own lives because from our birth, we have been looking for him. We are always 
we are always looking for him. We call this looking for happiness. Everything we have ever done has been the search for happiness. A baby will cry until he's fed and comfortable. That's happiness to him. As a child, we want certain things that we will make us happy. Toys, attention, love. But it doesn't last. It's not permanent. We want it again and again and more and more. And that's how it was with me. I was born in a family with a brother, Ronnie, who was 22 years older than I, a sister, Virginia, who was 18 years older, and another sister, Betty, who's 10 years older. Yes, I'm the baby. I'm a baby boomer, too. Daddy came home from World War II, and there were no babies in the house, and he wanted another baby. I always thought that I was the only one who was really wanted in the family because my siblings just happened along. But I was planned, wished, and hoped for. So I grew up feeling very special and loved because I was everybody's favorite. Did you notice that I said I was planned, wished, and hoped for, and I didn't say pray for? That's because my family never prayed. We weren't religious. My dad never went to church. My mother went to Mass every Sunday because she had to bring her mother there, my grandma. And that was the extent of our religious involvement. No one ever talked about religious subjects. We had no Bibles in the house. We didn't pray grace at meals. We didn't say bedtime prayers. In fact, when a religious program was on TV, like Bishop Fulton Sheen, we turned the channel to watch a variety show, like Sid Caesar, Milton Berle, or whatever it was. So why did my dad, who never gave God a thought, name me Faith? He said it was because he didn't want me to believe in anything except myself. I guess I showed him. One of my earliest memories is hitting a baseball out of the park, and that was before I went to school. The kids in my neighborhood played softball a lot, and everybody wanted me on their team. I was a happy kid. I thought happiness was winning games. Of course, we didn't always win, but when you do, you want more of it. You want to always win. Winning is happiness doesn't last. Getting good marks in school made me happy, but that doesn't last either. I remember thinking that getting into high school would bring me happiness. I was very happy to get into a private all-girls high school. There were only 36 in my graduating class. I was an honor student and played softball and basketball. As a teenager, I just intuited that these grades weren't happiness. But once I got into college, then I could be happy, right? And I could relax. Relax? In college, I had three part-time jobs, and college life was too busy to spend any time reflecting on the meaning of life. I just wanted to finish and then go get a job. Then I can be happy and relax. And my first job was teaching. I found out that that wasn't happiness. (laughs) I told myself, well, work is called work, because if it was fun, it would be called play. Then I thought, if I just get married, I'd be happy. And I did meet my future husband while we were teaching in Medway, Mass. We were both teaching on the same team. After a few years, we didn't feel completely happy. We were happy, but we wanted more. We thought having children would bring us happiness. 
We wanted children, but they didn't come. I had a fertility problem. That was treated, and we had a daughter named Cheryl. She made us happy, but we wanted more happiness, so we wanted another child. But I still had that fertility problem. But again, we had success, and Karen was born. We were happy and felt our family and life was complete. Surprise! We were blessed with one more baby, and it was a son we named Mark. Now, three active children, we were too busy to reflect upon whether we were happy or not. In retrospect, of course we were happy. My fondest memories are happy ones, vacations, Christmases, holidays. But happiness is not forever after. Children grow up. The house is empty. I do remember sometimes during those busy times of a growing family, thinking, if I only had some alone time, then I'd be happy. But now that they're all gone and on their own, where was the happiness? Think of this dynamic. Does everyone search for happiness? Winning at games, getting into high school, having a boyfriend or a girlfriend, getting into college, get a job, get married, have children, get retired. It's all a search for happiness. Where is happy ever after? Is that only for fairy tales? All the happiness I ever had didn't last. St. Augustine is right. Our hearts are restless until we find God. In fact, the very dissatisfaction we all experience suggests the existence of something else or someone else, dare I name it, God himself. The happiness we always feel is just a taste, a tease. Our intellects are never satisfied with our limited knowledge. Our will is never satisfied with experiences. We always want more, more happiness. We are made for more. We have an infinite desire to search for what gives us genuine satisfaction and happiness. Our intellect and will keeps us from settling for anything less than the full grandeur of paradise. This world is not our home. We are made for God. Our hearts long for this divine perfection. Faith's life was a foretaste of her heavenly home. Mm. Very nice. Very nice. Very nice. Lots of, uh, lots of food for conversation, food for thought. Yeah. Nice reflections. Right, right now, my, my girlfriend, that's, that's my happiness right now. Mm-hmm. My, my main happiness. <laughs> my radio show, my second happiness. <laughs> but they won't last. No. <laughs> like contentment. Contentment all, is temporary. All past. Only God <laughs> abides. Yeah. Uh-huh. So picking up on your line... Write me a poem, Jerome. Jerry's my middle name, so I do write poems. (laughs) So it's also March, and March is the advent of spring. And spring for the 40 years that I was a runner, what meant usually getting to the point where I would start increasing the mileage for the spring season, the summer season. Do you run the Boston Marathon? uh, No. 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 Tried one marathon once. I was much more comfortable with the shorter distances. Half uh, marathons. I did those twice, much shorter. These were the days before 5Ks, so I would do 5-milers, 10-milers, 5Ks um, as they came along. 
Um, but back in high school and college, I was a quarter miler, so I was a sprinter. Did you ever do the um, Falmouth Road Race? I did that, yes, yes, because it was New England. I had that's that's an event. Yeah, More that's a beautiful a <laughs> that's a beautiful thing because you run along the ocean. Yeah, it's a gorgeous course. Yeah. It was a very warm day too, but it was a gorgeous course. Yeah, and a great party after. Um, I think the only better party was the run around the block, which was a 15k around Block Island. So it was a full day event. You took the ferry over, you ran, you had the party, you took the ferry back. But yeah, I'll have to, I'll have to write about those sometime because there, there's lots of stories there. But this one at least has the repeating phrase of on the run or by the run or something like that, allowed to run. And the Elephant Corral is the title. It's in two parts. Sitar sounds and rhythmic drumming prepare the way for words of Rumi in my thoughts to run. Back in the day of simple street names, Park, North Park, the stream was put into a culvert and allowed to run. The power substation is set back from the houses. Utility poles and towers hold the lines up high for the electricity to run. The ball fields are not far from the combo basketball and hockey court near the playground where the kiddos are able to safely run. Green dots mark the progress of cleaning the catch basins to ensure the stormwater can freely run. Brick chimney on one side of the roof peak, newer galvanized pipe on the other, allows the exhaust to run. Part two. The sign tells folks... Be the reason for someone to smile today. You make me smile every day I get up to run. Walking along the gutter or taking a shower, both times create the space to allow my thoughts to run. I resist the urge to fix their mailbox, which was clearly smashed by someone with a baseball bat on the run. Until we corral the unspoken elephant in the room Multiple cries for overdue justice will continue to run. Trouble is, will the corral be big enough? The cries for justice tend to be drowned out by the truth-splaining ads that run. We must take action to corral the elephants, shout through the ads, restore justice, and order by catching those on the run. And then a second one. Dating myself, but some people may remember the commercial Once Upon a Time for uh, cassette tape from Memorex. Maybe this will bring back the memories of that. Is it live? Don't say AI. Say what it really is. Artificial intelligence. Yes, artificial for sure. Not really sure if it is intelligent yet. Is it live or is it Memorex? Yet another shiny object catches attention, draws the media talking heads briefly and all too superficially to discuss the latest. Is it live or is it Memorex? The daily writing or reflection time can center oneself in comfort and solitude, can allow for putting things into perspective. Is it live or is it Memorex? AI is an algorithm based upon data. The data set could be good to use or worthless, depending upon what the data is trying to anticipate. 
Is it live or is it Memorex? One talented individual with a high vocal range can hit the proper note, the proper pitch, to frag shatter fragile glass and ask, is it live or is it Memorex? Kenyan proverb, the sun will rise tomorrow. Simple in what it says and just as important in what it doesn't say. Will we see the sunrise tomorrow? Is it live or is it Memorex? Right. Is your title, is it Memorex? Wow. Hmm? Is your title, is it Memorex? Is it live? Is it live? Yeah, right. yeah, I didn't decide to put Memorex in the title brand <laughs> complications, although Memorex is a brand I'm not sure is very popular these days. But I just put live or Memorex. Could. Mm. Yep. It used to be, li is it live or is it Ella? Because <laughs> Ella was the one with the voice in yeah. that yeah. famous recording. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I yes. remember it. Yeah. yeah. Ella Fitzgerald, quite yeah. the voice she had. I like yeah. that technique of repeating the same thing. Is it live or is it Memorex? And then the next stanza mm -hmm. and that, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. you, you can tackle a number of things from different ways in that approach. Yeah. So I've actually started a separate Google Doc you know, ending words. <laughs> Hebrew poetry does that. The Psalms would do The Psalms, that. Do yes. That. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's a long tradition. Um, yep. And while we're on poetry, I'll take the opportunity, since April is the poetry month, uh, there will be at least one event, maybe two, at the library locally. Um, I'm sure there's going to be others in other areas. For those who are listening that are around beyond Franklin, um, look out for poetry events. The event in Franklin potentially will be at least two-part. It'll be kind of a workshop, so it'll encourage you with some writing prompts, et cetera, to work through writing a poem or whatever. And then the second part will be to, if you've written a poem, to read it for an audio recording or just bring your favorite poem and read it and tell why it's your favorite. So there'll be more to come on that for those at least in the local Franklin area. If we can, we'll certainly try to incorporate a virtual aspect, but at least as far as the writers group is concerned, when we get into April, or when we record in March for April broadcasts, that would be an opportunity for us to do uh, something in a poetic theme, or at least read your favorite poem, and we can share favorite poems that way. So I think that brings this session to a close. Uh, we thank you all for listening, and stay tuned. We'll have more to come as we get into March and record for broadcast in April, et cetera, et cetera. There will be lots of events, lots more writing, lots more thought-provoking writings, and maybe some humorous things as well as we rewrite songs. And hopefully the singers, the original singers, will appreciate how, how we're crafting <laughs> their songs. So... Thank you all for listening. This is Steve Sherlock. Faith Flaherty. Al Larkin, good to be with you all. And I'm Bill Wiley. Zenobia Carson. Excellent. Until next time, keep reading, writing, and listening. Thanks for being with us here on Senior Story Hour. Until the next time, I'm Peter Jay. Remember, be they laced with gravity, levity, wisdom, or whimsy, the meaning, experiences of life become a little larger when you share them, when you take a moment to commit pen to paper and just write.
This is FPR, Franklin Public Radio.